This episode is sponsored by Rockstar Connect at rockstarconnect.com. Let Rockstar Connect help your brand become a rock star in your industry and create local celebrity status in your sphere through monthly meetups and networking events. Find the next Rockstar Connect event in the Triangle or in your area at rockstarconnect.com slash events. You know, what's, what frustrates me is people just don't know. I well, had no idea that any of this existed. I had no, no idea. Let me, let me start with North Carolina. Um, our system's been in place since 1937. Yep. Pretty much unchanged. So that system has lasted until, and it's, it's still going strong. So this is the only state in the country with 170 boards that wow. control alcohol in each community. So if you're a distiller in, say, the Outer Banks or whatever, and you want to sell your rum in, you know, Murphy or you know, Asheville, you've got to go physically. And schmooze the board. Mm-hmm. Really? 170 boards. No, no we're, the only, we're the only state in the country with boards like this. Wow. There are 17 control states. Okay. 17. We're one of those. And we're, we're the only ones only with the one 170 fiefdoms. With the, <laughs> with the 170. <laughs> we got different tribes of ABCs just dressed differently in more. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. All right, well, welcome to the show. This is Guys Who Do Stuff. I'm Joe. I'm Josh. This is the show where we help you get unstuck. And tell a better story. And have a good answer to the question. What, what are, are you, you doing, doing today? today? That's right. And uh, today we are privileged to have John Trump joining us in the studio. Thank you so much for being on. Hey, thanks. Yeah. So, John, you, uh, you've written a book called uh-huh. Still in Barrel. It came out in 2017, and I can't wait to yeah, can't wait to talk to you about that. But you've also spent 30 years as a reporter, right? right. Yeah. So uh, over those 30 years, what what has been some of the highlights for you? Oh man, uh, Las Vegas was fun. I spent a lot of time in news, uh, so there's some incredible stories. You know, being so hot out of Vegas as it is, I remember a story of a missing person, and they found her in a. Uh, storage shed garbage can it was pretty much liquid oh my um, goodness there was a, a stripper um who he partied all night and uh hit a bunch of kids working in a roadway that kind of stuff and then i was in fayetteville too i know this is all more morose and things but, um a guy stole a van city van and uh targeted people on the sidewalks oh man um, a lot of shootings a guy a woman a guy went into the va with a box of roses and pulled out a shotgun and shot it up um yeah, it's that kind of stuff. There's good stuff happens too, you know. Right. <laughs> but these are the kind of things that just kind of stand out. Yeah, you know? sure. and I met my wife while, as a reporter, we were talking about it in Vegas, and uh, she was working for the AP at the time. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's unfortunate where it's gone. Newspapers and reporting as a whole. What trends excite you about where your industry is going, and what things are upsetting? So maybe we'll start with the things that are upsetting. That's a great question, Joe. Well, Thanks, I, yeah, it's upsetting is what happened to newspapers. I mean, the internet basically killed it. Uh, things like Craigslist, and they, they're working on a hundred year old business plan or longer now. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't work. Well, that bring, you bring up you a know? good point. Nobody ever talks about Craigslist's role in killing the newspaper. Normally, we just think about the journalism size, but that the classified section was a oh, huge part. that's what part. it was. It was money. That and real estate, uh, real estate ads. Um, the things they made uh, made money off of, they weren't making money off of anymore. It was a cash cow. And like, even like big retailers like Belk and so on and so forth, you stay full page ads out. Now they do inserts. Yeah. So what's happened though, back in the day when they were cash cows, the big co- corporations, the Gannettes, the Knight Ritters at the time, and then swooped in and bought all these mom and pop papers. And what's most unfortunate, what bothers me the most about this is, Every community, whether you're in Madison, North Carolina, or even Cary or Dunn or wherever, you need the local paper watching government. You know, it's what we do at the Carolina Journal. We we watch the the legislature, but you need a watchdog there. And with the small newspapers gone, city council can get away with anything. Mayor can get away with anything. Local boards can get away with anything. And uh, let me just say, as far as fake news goes, that's a bunch of bullshit. To the most part, as far as newspapers go, it is. And you can say that you're a Trump. Yeah, 
How did that feel when that name come out? Because I always wonder, like, my last name is Wellworth, and the last thing people remember is the five and dime. But, like, uh-huh. all of us at any point in time, somebody could become very famous with your last name, and then you have at least a bare minimum of jokes and then guilty by association things going on. I mean, it's been going on a while, you know, because he's been in, a, right. in the news for a while. So, so no relation. We'll get that up off, off the top as, of the As show. far as yeah. I know. As far as you know. I hope the hell not. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> We love hearing great stories and we're fans of storytelling from, from a journalist standpoint, what have you learned about storytelling? Like if you were talking to somebody who's younger, getting ready to get into journalism and that the idea of storytelling came up, what kind of points would you give them? I would say, tell every story like you're at a cocktail party. Don't get caught in a minutia. The cops speak, uh, you know, how, how politicians talk, find a story there, you know, and even today, a lot of times I read a story, one of one of our reporters and I find the lead at the bottom. That's the most interesting part. Yeah, isn't that, the, you know, that's a newspaper term, right? Bury the lead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's still and, happening. And a lot of, you know, you go to a city council meeting, it's like, well, you know, what, what one thing do people want to know? If you're going to go home and tell your wife this, it's like, what makes a good story? Yeah. You know, and, and it's, people are always part of the story too. I mean, you know, you, you want to start with a person, you want to see how it affects you personally. And, and that's the key to most stories. It's like, how does it, how does it resonate with other people? How does it relate to you? Uh, I liked what you said about the role of newspapers being that kind of that trusted, historically, that trusted source of speaking truth to power. Uh, what do you guys at the Carolina Journal primarily focus on writing about? We, we focus on a legislature um, from a, uh, open trade, free market, personal liberty point of view. Okay. And now you can find that on your guys' website? Yeah, carolinajournal.com. Um, we put out a monthly, a paper, actual paper monthly. Um, so you can go to uh, carolinajournal.com and sign up for it. It comes free. Uh, it's uh, good stuff. We um, we cover with that point of view, let me say that, but we we cover it as journalists. One of the things that I noticed that you, you write off and on, and your book is about it, and I'm, and I'm stoked to talk to you about it, because one, I want to understand the issue better. And two, I just happen to enjoy a good drink. And I think it's a fun thing to talk <laughs> yeah. about. And uh, so you wrote this book. Tell us a little bit about your book that you wrote. We like whiskey. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's not the um, name of the book. I'm just saying. That's a good, that's a good title. I, I, should, yeah, I, I should have thought of that. That's how we would have named it. Our podcast is Guys Who Do Stuff. <laughs> whiskey good. Yeah. Well, what happened was um, I was working for an online news organization before this. And uh, a week before Christmas in... 2015, I got laid off. So I, I started blogging a little bit. And uh, what kind of notice did you get before that? A week. Happened? A week. A week. I, I got a phone call. Yeah, it was an online thing, right? And it was remote. Wow. Yeah, it, yeah, it sucked. Hmm. Yeah, I told my wife, you know, I lost my job. And he's like, oh, no, you didn't. I did. Oh, yeah. so a couple of weeks later, she said, yeah, yeah, I guess you did. <laughs> she still didn't want to believe yeah, it. We had gone on a bourbon trail before that. You know, I, I thought it was cool. The right. sights, the sounds, the, the visiting the distilleries. And uh, one night she just came home from, she had worked at Wake Forest, was working at Wake Forest at the time. She came home with this uh, passport. She's like, you ought to check this out. And I'm, I look at it, it's like a bunch of distilleries in North Carolina. And I was like, what the hell? Never heard of it. Because we've been on a bourbon trail. We've been talking about it. I was like, that's interesting. She's like, you need to write about it. So at the time, she had a blog with the Huffington Post. I, we talked to some people, and I, then I got a blog with the Huffington Post. You know, the blogs were well-received. I covered like a Durham distillery, distillery in, uh, in Mount Airy, mm-hmm. and Topo in, in Chapel Hill. And uh, I'm doing these blogs, but it's, you know, I just got laid off in December. And it's like February or March. And she's like, you know what? This is all wonderful and everything. But maybe you should think about making some money. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, probably. She's like, turn it into a book. I'm like, what? We put a proposal together in an afternoon, sent it off to Blair Publishing in Winston-Salem. And uh, I, have, I had some connections from grad school. A week later, I say, yeah, let's let's go ahead with a book. And, and, and they asked, well, how soon can you get it done? And I think this was April. And we're sitting at a freaking... Um, one of those car wash things. I said, I said, well, how, how, what do you think? I mean, how, how quick could I do this? Cause there were right. about 24 distilleries in the, in the passport. And so I figured, well, I got to go to every distillery, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? You know, year, Oh, six months. Tell them six months. You got to do it in six months. She's like, strike while the iron is hot. I said six months. And then that 
They said, oh, fine, October 1st. I was like, shit. But it's, uh, <laughs> I wasn't work. I wasn't working. So, and uh, I got some help from uh, Paul Jones of uh, Department of Agriculture. We drove to distillery. So basically, I, fit, I visited 30 distilleries over the summertime in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and, you know, wrote about each one. And that was pretty much the genesis of the book. And, you know, fortuitously, not long after, I got the job with the Carolina Journal, which allowed me to continue writing about. Yeah. Um, you know, how fucked up the legislation really is, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, I want to get to that in a second. But what, what were the, some of the stories that a lot of the distilleries shared? Like, what were some of the common threads? Oh, I mean, I, I think back in the day, I mean, North Carolina had 500 distilleries before Prohibition. Um, and that, that knowledge was lost. But, you know, with the moonshining and, and like the calls in um, Wilkes County and Copper Barrel in Wilkes County, um, they have old their parents or like Buck Nance, who's an old moonshiner, you know, it's, it's this history that they brought along with them. And I, and I think the big thing is, cause if you know a lot about distilling in general, um, a lot of these whiskeys out there are sourced, meaning MGP in Indiana, for example, makes them and people put their name on them. Right. Like they're celebrities not actually, buy a label. Yeah, you're right. They're, they're, they're labeling it basically. But I think what was true to these guys, Howling Moon in, in Asheville, as they made it themselves and they put their mark on it. it. It it was something that you make and, you know, you locally source like Topo, for example, gets its, it makes wheat whiskey and it gets its wheat from Scotland neck. It's all organic red wheat, soft, mm -hmm. soft red wheat. Um, and localizing corn or blueberries or outer banks where they get local pecans and honey to make a, you know, this pecans and honey rum they do, which if you haven't had it, wow. it's freaking incredible. Um, you know, and just people, uh, my friend, Leanne Powell, who, you know, just passed away actually um, a couple months ago. Uh, we went to uh, Mount Pleasant, which is around Charlotte. Uh, she took over an old prison. It was a uh, Cabarrus County correctional facility. And it was, it was a mess. I mean, it had closed years ago. She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into a distillery, you know? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, you know, it was so hot that day too, I remember. And, but she said, this is going to be a barrel room. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to yeah. make this great bourbon. I'm like, yeah, sure you are. And damn if she didn't. Wow. You know, conviction and uh, the whiskey prison in, in Cabarrus, her uh, husband is carrying it on. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a really good bourbon. I mean, it's all young. I remember North Carolina. I mean, in Kentucky, you've been, they've been aging this stuff forever. Right. You know, for a hundred years or whatever, really. Um, even, even despite prohibition, but here, you know, we're new. Uh, we didn't get our first story to 2005 and they didn't, legislature didn't allow legal distilling until 1979 anyways. So it's, it's a new industry, but so it's, they it's allowed, exciting. They allowed it in 1979 and we didn't open our first one until yeah, 2005. Yeah, go figure. I, I don't know what, what the deal was. It must've been, uh, I, I can't say why it must've been red tape. Yeah. That type of thing. Because remember, that was before even craft beer or wine for that matter. Right. And it was just this, uh, this leftover prohibition Baptist for first bootleggers kind of uh, idea. Yeah. So unpack that. What is, because I've heard that phrase before, Baptist versus bootlegger. Well, Baptists want to stop it. Right. And bootleggers want to stop it too, because they don't want illegal competition affecting them. I see. So it's this. So you these got two strikes against join, you. <laughs> these evil forces, well, not necessarily evil, but these forces join to blow up, you know, any free market kind of options people might have. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I noticed in a lot of your articles as I was reading through is that you're careful to bring up the point consistently that once you get past the alcohol, in other words, it's not a conversation just about alcohol. Yeah. So it's not, that's not just about the Baptist, whether right or wrong or bootleggers, whether or not it's. It's about small business. It's about entrepreneurs. It's about setting people up for success. It's 100% about that. It, it's about giving the people the opportunity to, you know, grow and thrive, profit, even survive in many cases. Yeah. Um, it, it's not about alcohol at all. A lot of these guys, I, you know, I've, I've talked to, they, they start from the last bit of savings they have. They jump through all these red tapes, mm -hmm. this red tape and these, through these hoops you know, then they hit, hit roadblocks with government regulations or you can't do this or the ABC board won't carry your product. Um, it's just, you know, they've done it with beer. Have you seen what, seen it with beer? They, you pop the cap. 
You remember that with where they, it was at 6% until like, uh, what is 90 something or 80? Like it was, I think the nineties, you couldn't brew over 6% ABV. Mm-hmm. Well, they got rid of that. So you can make your stouts, you can make your triples, you know, you can make your, you make, make your right. double box or whatever. And the breweries took off, you know, and you could serve your own product at your brewery. The same with winery. Well, liquor, you can't do that until now. Did you call that pop the cap? Pop the cap. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what the, that was the campaign. It was called. It was pop the cap. And, uh, there was a lawsuit from Noda, um, my favorite brewery. I'll go on record with that. And old- <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to be uh, withholding about which ones were your favorite, but you answered that right. No, is that I, in Charlotte? I, it's in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, N-O-D-A is that? Is that Noda, yeah. North Davidson. They've got a couple locations now. Um, Charlotte and Old Mech and John Marino's great guy too at Old Mech. Um, there, there was a provision where in, in North Carolina, you could only brew. If you're, if you're making it yourself, you could make 25,000 barrels, but if you went above that 25,000 barrel limit, you had to get a distributor. Hmm. You couldn't self-distribute. And Noda and, and Old Mac, and I think Raleigh Brewing too, who's out there also great. Um, they're like, no, we want to make more. So they were stopping at that threshold, you know, because they don't want to go to the distributor because you go to the distributor, you know, in their minds that you got to give away your brand. Yeah. The distributor can do what they want with it. And they just, no, we want to distribute it how we want to distribute it. But it was a state rule, some arbitrary rule where you had to stop at that. Yeah. So it took a lawsuit to, to lift that. Now they can make up to a, you know, a hundred thousand and, uh, you know, distribute up to 50 and then you got to get distributed. But anyways, there's been movement in, in beer. There's been movement in, in wine. Right. Um, but alcohol for whatever reason, there's no, it's, we've, yeah, wicked whiskey. You can't, you know, a shot of beer, a shot of whiskey, uh, twelve ounces of beer, or a glass of wine is all the same amount of alcohol. Right. But for whatever reason, they view whiskey as if you, you know you're standing around chugging a bottle of Jim Beam, which is never the case. Yeah, and so especially I, North Carolina, which does not have bars. I only moved to the mm. Triangle ten years ago, and I've seen the influx of what you're talking about, all these craft breweries popping up places like even in Cary where, where this, where we're recording right now, we've got bond brothers opening up and all the different cool places in downtown and breweries. And I enjoy them. They seem like a place for people to get together. It's a nice third place. You go hang out, you meet friends there. You don't see a lot of people like, it's just not what you would expect if you were putting it in kind of like in that sin category that people like to box it into, right? It's a like community. It's, I mean, it, it's, it, it's part of the neighborhood. And I think, you know, we're new to Cary. We've been here about going on three years, I think. Um, and I don't know what Cary was like. I've heard stories before Bond Brothers. Um, Downtown? Yeah, yeah, it was, there was nothing there. There was yeah. like a little Caesars. <laughs> so that's an era <laughs> which, now. Which isn't there anymore either. <laughs> yeah. So it's pre-Bond Brothers is an era, right? Bond Brothers, what they did for the community one thing is they started that run club. Yeah. And so that got yeah. foot traffic all over downtown, which means people started thinking about opening up restaurants and now there's yeah. restaurants down there. And now it's, if you walk yeah. down there on any night, there's, you got restaurants, you got a place to buy ice cream. You got yeah. a new library going in the park that they're well, sinking uh, on the money. Yeah. In. Look at like Fuquay or uh, Apex right. or I, you know, any, any of these small towns, Salisbury, I, any, anywhere, um, Chalote, uh, there's a great brewery in Chalote mm-hmm. you know, and, and now in, uh, it, it, it just pops up around it. it it's right. community gathering place. I sure. mean, you go to Old Mech or even Noda or, you know, in Charlotte, all the brews in Charlotte. Look at Asheville. Mm-hmm. I mean, Asheville's a destination and, you know, it's Portland, Oregon. It's because of, the, because of I, I, in my view, breweries. It brings people together. Right. And it's not about drinking. And, and, and I, and, you know, and, and I'll get the, the nasty comments on my columns all the time. Like, oh, you're supporting alcohol and uh, it's the devils. It's not about that. It's not about that in any way, shape or form. It's about invention and innovation. It's about yeah. community. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, bring your dog, which, you know, they didn't allow really to just lately legally. Um, this was part of the bill too, but yeah, that, that's what it is. Sure. Like Fortnite's one of our, I mean, that's, that's my favorite brewery 
Maybe yeah. maybe it's not my favorite beer. <laughs> yeah. Because I think Bond Brothers make some of the best beer in the state. I've never been to Fortnite, but it's right there on what? Cary Parkway? You're or close to it. You should go. One, their new sign and paint they, job is very cool. What's Why is it your well, favorite? They're, they're, they're opening up a, a culture club, they call it, a back room. Yeah. Sours and stuff, which Ooh. should be opening anytime. So, yeah, yeah, check it out. Why is it my favorite? Um we met a couple of uh, bartenders when we uh, when we first moved. We had a Groupon and we went. And, yeah, uh, I did the Groupon too. Yeah, buy the Groupon, yeah. Josh. I will. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you get a tour and you get like a pint glass and a you get taste. a six pack. Is yeah. there any connection to uh, Fortnite, the video game? No, <laughs> they no. But people call all the time bitching. <laughs> hey, my parachute didn't open. What the fuck's doing? <laughs> like, this is a brewery. They're like, here, you just come in here and just calm down. But okay. the people, the people, the people are great. Um, Stuart and like Craig and Dan, uh, we just became friends with them mm-hmm. and we, we just love, just love hanging out there. It's just, you know, just somewhere to go and, yeah. you know, and my wife, families go there, the That's dogs come, dogs yeah. come and, you know, uh, but Jordan Lake is cool too. Yeah. Um, that just opened up in downtown Cary and Jordan Lake more recently. It's, huh? Yeah. That's the name of a place in downtown Cary. Yeah. It's in, uh, it's kind of over the. Yeah, like just a little beyond bit the further down the road that Bond Brothers is on. Yeah. A little bit further down that way. Cool. And um, Cotton House, too. They've, oh, yeah, they've Rocking just, Chairs. They've just opened at Rocks. Yeah. yeah. I think what's interesting is we have we were just joking before because we do we do episodes like with alcoholics and we do episodes with recovering alcoholics. And I think the important thing to note, like if you're thinking, man, that doesn't make sense together. Alcohol is amoral. Like it's like money. Like money doesn't care how you spend it. Um, there's people that have problems with alcoholism. That's yeah. a separate thing. But it's not the thing itself carries any wicked gene. You know, it's no. a it's a thing. And right. You can't really assign. I uh, mean, you know, a car could be a bad thing if you want it to be. Sure. You know, a car in the hands of a drunk driver seems like a very bad. That's thing. a very very bad thing. And right. A, so a car and a single mom trying to get to work seems it's, like it's oh a that's whole, great. A whole different right. You right. know, sitting there chugging beers is one thing and. You know, um, tasting beers is a whole different yeah. thing. So are you happy there. to live in this area of the country and the state because we have so much good beer here? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I just love it. Um, we were in Portland a couple of years ago, and uh, it's neat. But, you know, Asheville is like my favorite place in the world. Wilm- yeah. Wilmington's getting that way. Yeah, uh, Charlotte, we kind of avoid because of the traffic. Um, I haven't been there for a while. Are but, you digging the new Sierra Nevada in Asheville? Uh, uh, I've that, heard that about place it. Rocks. It doesn't. That place rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Get- yeah. It's nuts. Um, too. <laughs> but yeah. It's cool. It's got that whole outdoor thing. They have bands and sure. tours. And, uh, you know, we went to Ireland a couple of years ago and went to Guinness. And uh, if you've never been done that, Dublin. Yeah, in Dublin you there's like seven floors you go through through this tour. Yeah. You end up on top where you get your Guinness. Ooh. Yeah. So um We got to go on a tour of um oh, I'm forgetting what it was called, but it's a, it was the oldest distillery in in uh I think it was Belgium. And it was we were just wiggling around and all this stuff and they built a beer line. They actually like we run fiber, they don't have streets that you can drive cars in in this old town. Um and so they had to move everything with horse and carriage and drivers. And they were finding that their beer would get to the distillery, which is like three or four miles down the road, all shaken up and drank by the guys that are driving the horse and carriage. And, <laughs> <getting> <laughs> their drunk. and so they ran like four lines, like fiber lines, just like you've seen all around the triangle when they were burying fiber and they put four different runs of beer. So it goes straight out of the vat. <gasps> takes it about six minutes. They said to make it the two or three miles down to the factory. And did this whole well, thing. It cost them so much money. It's like the jurors or something. I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll look it up. It's an interesting article to read, uh, to say the least, because they were made fun of by their city. Like this is the dumbest thing you can invest money in, and now they're like crushing it. They're like one of the bigger, one wow. of the bigger people in their area. Wow, cool. Yeah, it's nuts. Have you guys had mead? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, good. I've never had mead. Sometimes they have it on that Triangle Wine over at Waverly Place or Southern Pines or wherever you go to. Triangle wine, but yeah, it's kind of like fourteen percent. And it's sweet, sweet. They're yeah. sweet. <laughs> I like it. We said it at the same time. <laughs> this show is produced at Podcast Carry, a professional studio making podcasting simple and fun. Located in Vibe Coworking in Cary, North Carolina. Want to start a podcast to create great content for your business and establish yourself as a thought leader in your city? Go to podcastcarry.com. Connect with your audience. Grow your brand.
But I want to switch gears a little bit because one thing you one thing you pointed out in your articles when we're talking about legislation specifically, we're talking about the what feels like archaic rules from mm-hmm. the ABC. And I don't understand a lot about it. So I would love if you could kind of unpack that. Like what okay. what do other states do that empower business owners to open up distilleries that we seem to be struggling in? Well, let me let me start with North Carolina. Um our system's been in place since nineteen thirty seven. Yep. Pretty much unchanged. So very up to date. That's what yeah, you're saying. It's, yeah. It's very up to date. <laughs> um what what happened was Okay, prohibition happened in North Carolina in 1908. So it ended in 33. To appease these communities, the prohibitionists, because it was there was still some staunch people against liquor. Right. So, so this to, is like the, the quintessential bootleggers and Baptist yeah, scenario is what's going on. Right, right. Um, so, so what they did is, to appease the local communities, they say, well, we're going to give you local control. Okay, so... If you want a liquor store in your area, if you want to sell liquor, you you can do that, but it's got to be a vote. So the people have to vote and prove it. And there will be a board, a little point of board in your area, whether it's, you know, a county or a city okay. or a, any kind of municipality to control alcohol in, in that area. So that system has lasted until, and it's it's still going strong. So this is the only state in the country with 170 boards that wow. control alcohol in each community. And if you know anything about working with boards, they're fast moving and they make decisions. And <laughs> what a nightmare, uh, 170 different boards. Right. Who decide, okay, they, they'll open stores and they decide what goes into the store and who to carry. So if you're a distiller in say the Outer Banks or whatever, and you want to sell your rum in, you know, Murphy or, you know, Asheville, you've got to go physically. And schmooze the board. Mm-hmm. Really? 170 boards. So if you want and to it, distribute in every North Carolina ABC store, you've got to win over 170 separate boards. Right. Wow. Right. You, you've got to, you know, and, and they've developed uh, little distributorships and they're working together to try to get around a lot of this stuff. But yeah, yeah, that's that's how it works. And, and if a board, see now this legislation, which is just passed this session, compels ABC boards to carry your stuff or at least order it. It's like, so, so a restaurant wants to make cocktails. If they didn't carry your stuff in that county, they couldn't get your stuff. Gotcha. So now if, they, if a restaurant goes to the board or whatever, say, I want this, they have to order it. Sure. They have to order it. But it wasn't that case. So they are, they're basically 170 or so different fiefdoms. Right. Operate individually. So that this is what these guys have to go through. And so like, if I'm, if I'm tracking what you're saying, like if, if like say a Tito's martini became super popular and every restaurant wanted to sell it, now there's legislation to compel anybody that's not carrying Tito's. And I know there, if, if the restaurant wants it, they have, they can go to the ABC board and say, mm-hmm. I want this. They have to go to, they, then they have to get it. But before they say, no, we're not carrying it here. Because a lot of like the local distillers where their home counties or municipalities or whatever, they, we don't carry, we don't want to carry your stuff just because your grandfather pissed off my grandmother. Yeah, and what, it has all to these all be grudges. political at that it's point, It's all right? political. They're all political, political appointed and politically entrenched. There's even one, Shelly Willingham of Eskin County, who serves as an ABC board chairman. And he's in the legislature. So he's a lawmaker. So, you know, mm. fig- I mean, figure that one out. But we're, we're the long, that, that Virginia for example, is a control state too, but they control it centrally. What's the difference between a control state and not control state? Because I grew up in Michigan and like there was liquor at like the grocery store. Right. So that's a not control state? Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the government basically just is in charge of uh, enforcement. Mm-hmm. Here, government controls, basically they, they don't control, they don't make it, but they store it in the warehouse in Raleigh. Every All liquor in North Carolina comes out of Raleigh. It's all stored in Raleigh. Wow. Interesting. So it goes from Raleigh throughout the state. Is that like a check-in, check-out kind of yeah, thing? Yeah. I mean, it goes in in trucks and... and so that's an added cost to distilleries because right, they got to send it from wherever they are to Raleigh. All the way to so Raleigh. if you're on the outside of the state, like you're in Wilmington, you got to send your craft yep. to Raleigh so that they can send it back, back to, to Wilmington. Wilmington. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> I'm beginning to understand why some people are frustrated with the... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a, you know, a private license or state or whatever, they'll... The state will control the... I mean, they'll police and law enforcement and everything, but as far as selling it, it's, it's free and open market. Okay. So, you know, you can go to Trader Joe's maybe or, or Costco because Costco's yeah. got a huge line of uh, 
Does that affect us as consumers? I notice when I go does. to other states, alcohol seems to be cheaper than here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's that. It could be more expensive depending, but that's, that's how the market works. But what, what, what the biggest, my biggest bitch about the, about it is it's selection. You can't like Buffalo trace, for example, you go to Kentucky, Buffalo trace is all over the shelves. Yeah. Here it's like, if you see it, you got to buy it. You all. see it, you know, cause you, the next you, guy's going to, you have to buy yeah. it. I'll give you an, here's an example of how screwed up this control stuff is uh, Wake County got a shipment in of rare liquor. That's all they said. Rare liquor. Right. Okay. And they said, well, we're going to do it through a lottery. So it's 2019 or 18. I don't know when it happened. They're like, we're going to hold it in Wendell at noon on a Friday. This is all Wake County, mind you. So anybody who wants this show up at noon Friday in Wendell and put your name on a piece of paper, which will drop in a box and pull out the lottery winners. And you can only ride one horse. <laughs> Right. One horse per per person. Did, did, did they charge for the lottery or no? Yeah. No, it's it's, it's just a way to get everybody to come out to the window. Yeah, but that's how you know <laughs> they got this allotment and they only get so much. Sure, you know, and they, well, we have to distribute it like this. You know, we just can't put it on a shelf. You know, it, it's, it's screwed up because you know, Carrie. If you go to the ABC store on uh, Carrie Parkway, mm -hmm. where um, Fresh Market is, it's it's like there's no there's no secret. There's money here, right? But there's no selection. You go back, it's the same old shit, time after time after time. It's like there's a price list that, that North Carolina acquires it. It goes out mm -hmm. to different stores. And, and there's, no, there's no creativity. There's nothing new you could see. Like you go to some place in Kentucky, it's like, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this in North Carolina? No way. No, it's going to be the same stuff, um, same place, uh, same place on a shelf in a store. Yeah. And it, 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 as, as consumers, it's frustrating because it's just, takes away a choice and, and legally you're not permitted to get it, you know, online either. You can't buy it online or back and forth. So is that only a, in a controlled state? Can other people buy alcohol online? In other states. Yeah. 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 And you can buy beer and wine and stuff, but not, not liquor for whatever reason. They won't let that, won't let that go through. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but control state, like say, say Virginia is a control state, but they control everything at the state level. But here it's controlled through 170 different boards. How about when you buy it in the airport? So are they all under that duty free? They're not. The well, same? I, yeah. It, uh, well, I don't think it, you have to be an ABC licensed store. Yeah. Even in the airport. Even in the airport. I mean, yeah. that's the only place you could buy liquor. And, and, you know, it's like frustrating about my book. I mean, you would think my book would sell great at ABC stores, at the, you know, at the North Carolina section of the ABC store, but they can't sell anything but liquor. Hmm. hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of changes. Part of the legislation, you know, uh, now allows distillers to have tastings at ABC stores. They allow them to sell mixed drinks at, at their distilleries, which they're very excited about. Oh, really? And, you know, and in 2015, like if you visit a North Carolina distillery, you could buy one bottle of liquor from them per year. It that was 2000 what? 2015. Okay. Then it changed to five, but now you could buy an unlimited, like you're having a wedding or something and you want Lassiter's rum, you can go there and order several cases, which you couldn't do before because hmm. everything had to go through the ABC store. So they're starting to loosen a little bit. They are loosening um, to their credit. People like Chuck McGrady, um, a lot of representative Chuck McGrady, who's retiring. He's not running for reelection out of Henderson who has made it a, kind of his crusade to fix a lot of these hmm. antique alcohol laws. You would think that the, what's happening in the consumer demand market for all the craft beers, like you were alluding to, like the desire for more choices, the desire for more exotic things, that the desire to, you know, have options would start to force, or I guess that's the desire, right? And I, 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 it is the desire. And I think, you know, what's, what frustrates me is people just don't know. You I know, had no idea that any of this existed. I had no, no idea. I'll go, yeah. I'll go talk to people and they're like, what? What? Yeah. It's like, yes. Yeah, it is, feels very prohibitive and almost like handcuffing small business owners who want to get into distilleries. Right. And, and I, the state's pushing North Carolina right now is pushing 80 distilleries. So, you know, so they're making they're, it in spite of, in spite of, in spite of the state regulations. And, uh, you know, you got the federal laws you have to deal with as far as labeling and bottling and all that. Then you have the, all the state rules and uh, it's, you know, 
Are there any other states that have a similar setup to ours? With like no, a- no, we're the only we're the only state in the country with boards like this. Wow. There are 17 control states. Okay. 17. We're one of those. And we're, we're the only ones only with the 170 fiefdoms. With the, <laughs> with the 170. <laughs> we got different tribes of ABCs just dressed and, differently and we're, in warfare. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny about it is like, uh, I, there's one store and I'm not going to say it because I want to keep it a secret, but you know, she's an amazing manager and she, she'll work around stuff to, to help you out. And she has this great selection. But if the manager of the store doesn't care, Sure. Just carry the same stuff time after time after time, and, and the consumer wants it now. They could go, they could order it right now, make a special order. But there's no reason. What what incentive do they have as a state employee mm-hmm. or county employee to, you know, yeah, push the market or or to I prosper? To, I have to imagine when you were going through your passport, much like every industry, the people that you meet that run the distillery are probably a very passionate yes. group of people about what they make, the story that goes into what they make, the history of how they got there. That's what makes distillery tours fun. That's what makes brewery tours fun. Yeah. That's what makes that's what makes fans, I think. We want to know the story I mean, behind it and how uh, they make like it. Van McCoy in Mount Airy, he makes uh Mayberry Mayberry Distillery. And he his tour, he, he's a he used to be a monk, contemplative monk. Oh, really? Who came back to, to Mount Airy. A lot of monks brew beer, right? I You're right, heard. exactly. Take care of his mother. And he's like, oh, I'm going to open a distillery. You know, That's what he did. But he, if you ever get a chance to take that tour, it, he dresses up like as a moonshiner and then <laughs> as a scientist. Yeah. Talks about yeast. and. Uh, Where did you get the passport? Where did that come from originally? Your wife handed it to you. My wife handed it to me. It, it, it was uh, the state did. Oh, okay. I think they made... <laughs> when you said that, you were so disappointed. It was the state. <laughs> well, yeah. And they only made like, what the hell was it? ten or 15000 and they ran out, and they're kind of a collector's item now. And I all these new distillers probably have never seen them. Wow. Somebody needs to come up with that. Somebody out there building websites. Make a make a distillery tour passport where we can Well, all... you know, like the bourbon trail, I don't know if you've ever done a bourbon trail, but they give you a passport. Oh, really? Right. No, and, I haven't. I haven't done and that. And there were like nine, I think nine distillers who went to on a, in Kentucky on a bourbon trail. When you're done, you get a stamp. They they stamp it. Mm-hmm. Then you take it to the Chamber of Commerce or something, you get a t-shirt. Right. The so only I dist- completed the bourbon trail. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only distillery tour that I ever went to, and I probably know this, and I just want to verify with you. I was in Pigeon Forge and they were these massive chain ones and you just kind of walked in off the street and gave them like $5. Yeah. And if you got a guy that was great at telling stories, they were fun, yeah. but they just kind of felt like they weren't like a real distillery tour. Like I kind of felt like I get it. Like I know why people would like this, but I didn't really get to go on one. Like you didn't see anything about how it was made. Nobody explained the process they didn't make of how it, it was they made. They put lemon drops and grain alcohol. And, you yeah. Know, they mixed it together. Essentially. And, they were yeah. like, here's, right. here's moonshine and here's some flavoring. Try this one. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I mean, and, and a lot of these guys, like, like I say, Topo and, uh, Outer Banks rum and, uh, uh conviction, like I said, the whiskey prison, they, they're making it from, from scratch it, from the ground up and, you know, yeah. and bourbon and, and that type of bourbon, you know, legally has to be in a barrel for two years to be called bourbon. Um, it's mostly four years. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take a while to get this stuff, the recipes down to where, to, where it tastes like reminiscent of Jim Beam or sure or you know even Jack Daniels or whatever you know so it has to be in the in the barrel for two years to be considered bourbon yeah it's got to be straight bourbon to be considered straight bourbon it's got to be two years it's got to be made in the United States got to be 51 percent corn um and uh there's, it's got to come off a still at a certain, t- certain temperature and barrel at a certain temperature. Yeah. So, the, so there are rules to be called bourbon. You have to follow these uh, federal guidelines. Right? So what are some of the things that, like, switching gears a little bit, like, as consumers, what can we be doing to help out distillery owners to help bring awareness to the Go to, to the distilleries, issue? number one. Visit distilleries. And, uh, you know, talk what? to your lawmakers. I mean, and, and tell them, um, you know, People like Pricey Harrison and uh, John Hardister and obviously McGrady, Rick Gunn in, in Burlington, her big proponents of this have been pushing it. Um, but here's here's the rub, and I need to mention this. The boards were set up 80 years ago, right? They get a portion of the proceeds. I was going to ask, but I didn't want it to get too dark. I was like, where are they making money as boards? <laughs> this is the holdup. This is the sticking point. They get a portion of the proceeds okay. from liquor sales. 
you know, and everybody's different and whatever deal they cut. And it funds alcohol education, it funds law enforcement, it funds schools. But okay. typically it goes into a general fund someplace. Um, that's it. How will we replace this revenue? That's what's going to come up. Um, you know, you have your arguments like we still don't have Sunday sales here. Sure. Um, but the, that's part of the problem. We don't have online sales. That's another issue. Everything else, but, you know. So there are things that's that are it, making that's us- money. Where's the money going to come from? And, and McGrady had uh, laid out a plan mm-hmm. where you, you would raise the excise tax instead of a, a percentage, you know, maybe be a flat rate. Because if you, if you make it a percentage, you know, the cheaper stuff's going to be less, mm-hmm. you know, and higher stuff's going to be more. So you're drinking more of the cheaper stuff. So if you make it a, you know, a percentage, then it's, you know, a flat rate is going to be the same, right? Mm-hmm. Like 30 bucks a wine gallon or something, but that's not how they do it. They do it, you know, as a percentage, which skews it off. But there's ways, you know, plus, you know, all the state or the counties own all these stores. They employ these people. I mean, that's a lot of money. There's the overhead. So yeah. there's ways to do this, but there's just no appetite to do it. I mean, and these boards are so entrenched. I mean, they're, they're 170 political appointees. So 170 boards with all political appointees. So go figure trying to fix this thing. It's going to be a slow moving. It's going to be, it's going to be a slog. And they made a ton of progress as it is, which, which is admirable. And I know there is a bill out there to privatize it. I mean, McGrady had a hearing on it. Um, and you know, I wrote about it, I, I had written about it and there's ways, ways to fix this. But, um, as far as the appetite goes, it's going to be tough. How many books or how many distilleries did you visit that you wrote about in your book? I visited about 30 and I, I had to finally cut it off because it kept popping up. You know, I, I was hitting the deadline. It's like, Oh, go do this one, go to this one. I'm yeah. like, did you, did you set out trying to hit them all? Yeah, I did. I, I went, went to about 30 and they kept growing. And I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. I took the, the ABC on this website has a price list of all the liquor and stores. Okay. And I said, if, if you're on a price list by August 31st or whatever, you're in the book. Otherwise I got to cut it off. Okay. Because I wrote, the, I wrote the thing over the summer, over a summer, you know, I wasn't working and I guess it, it was a fortunate thing because of that. But otherwise, yeah. Um, I said, to, I, I had to stop and I wrote it one way and they said, no, we want it like this. So I, I wrote yeah. it that way. But then the John Locke thing came on and I picked up the alcohol beat. And I think, um, you know, the John Locke foundation, people like Becky Gray and John Sanders, people I work with, we've pushed this and pushed this and pushed it as a free market. Deal. Yeah. Not about alcohol. Is that what the, right? so the John Locke foundation, that's, that's about helping bring awareness to this issue. Is that. No, John Locke foundations is, is, you know, the free market free trade, okay. individual liberty, individual responsibility, think tank. The Carolina Journal is part of the John Locke Foundation. Gotcha. So we bring awareness to free market issues. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you were to write part two of the book, how many more would you have to cover right now? Oh, uh, I don't every, know. Every I, yeah, distillery yeah. in North Carolina. I don't know if I'd do it this way. If I, if I did part two of the book, I'd do it from the legislative standpoint. Yeah. And look at some of these distillers individually, not every one of them. Um, and, and there are certain struggles and what they've had to go through with, through with boards. Yeah. Like I just had one distiller say that they were going to, they went to some festival and, uh, for whatever reason, the organizers wouldn't allow them to serve mixed drinks at the festival. They just wanted shots. And it's just this, these roadblocks, they just constantly, constantly run into It's like, yeah. Oh no, you can't have it here. And, um, Wake County had delisted a couple products because they perceived flaws in the products when it really wasn't flaws. And then it's got to go back and get it back in Wake County. And, mm. and, you know, ask a distiller is like, well, you know, wh- where are you? And they're like, Oh, I think I'm there. I think I'm here. I, you know, if you were with a state, then it would be all over the place, but it's not sure. You know, you could go in one County or another and you find something or you don't find something. So if we were to make the, uh, the official John Trump passport, Right now, and we're by the triangle. So the five distilleries tours that we should start on for first, as you said, one of the things we can do to help support is go visit distilleries. What are the top five? Oh wow. Um, okay, I, I'll, I'll leave it to the triangle. And I'll leave it to to my friends. I mean, Raleigh Rum is very cool. Um, last, See, I didn't even know that existed. Sounds awesome. Raleigh Rum. We're doing this, Josh. 
I think we need to commit to taking this passport. Yeah. <laughs> Stamp right. me. We're at least going to be the first people to do the passport. Let's <laughs> do it. Lassiter's and Nightdale, uh-huh. who uh, they have a tiki bar now, so, so check them out. Um, Topo, of course. Um, fair game, Pittsburgh. Go there. Um, Durham Distillery is pretty awesome. Um, they've, they've won a ton of awards for their for their gin. Some some other they make a cucumber vodka, which my wife just adores. And they make a vodka and soda in can and gin and, and tonic in cans too. So, but like I say, also whiskey prison is a, is a must see. Outer Banks Room, um, Mayberry, uh, Copper Barrel. Uh, I mean they they're, they're all over the, they're all over the states and just some some great people. They really are. They're they're really in you know, uh, old Nick Williams. I mean, the, from, you know, Manteo to Murphy, as they say, but. Uh, so he's kind of the godfather of the, the technique. Is that, is that, that? I don't know who you're talking old about. Old Nick Williams. Yeah. It's distillery in Clemens. Okay. Distillery in Clemens. Yeah. Clemens. Yeah. Well, that's my old do, stomping grounds. Do we have a person? Like I've watched a bunch of the shows on TV about like in Kentucky, there were, there were people that were known for being like, this was the godfather of Kentucky bourbon. Who's the North Carolina founders of the North Carolina style of distillery. Uh, Do we have them? No, not really. Um, <laughs> it was, they were never, they weren't here because it was too hard. Oh, I'll tell you, <laughs> and, and don't let me, uh, Jeremy Norris and, uh, and Benson broad slab, broad slab. Check, check that out too. I mean, really you can't go wrong. Um, you know, Jeremy's learned from his grandfather, which is in the great story too. Growing up, he hung out with his grandfather a lot and, uh, basically raised him and taught him to make liquor. And, you know, 2005 or six, his grandfather had died. They had a produce stand out on, you know, the highway in, uh, in Benson there before 40 came through. Mm. And, uh, you know, they, and his grandfather died and he took the produce stand and kind of built upon it and started making liquor and he makes basically moonshine, but, uh, some rum too. Uh, it, it, it's on a farm. It's really cool. You know, he had at one point grown his own corn on, on the farm. So that's, a, that's definitely another one. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you could, it's, I, you know, and, and I say this because not because I wrote a book, but I think the book is probably your best guide to, yeah. to seeing these distilleries, you know, because there's really nothing online or elsewhere that, and that's hey. one of the reasons I did the book because it's a comprehensive look at sure. these distilleries. I had no idea that this industry was suffering this kind of uh, regulation that was being so prohibitive because, you know, you hear the story and you think about like craft beer and you think about the proliferation of it and how it's Mm -hmm. been, uh, I would say probably largely responsible for making a lot of great community hangouts across the state and places for people to get together. And like, you think of like bond brothers again, for example, like you can go there with your family and play board games while you, it's, it's not a bar, right? It's not like what you think about, like you go in there to do, you know, whatever you, the worst case scenario you think about it's yeah. it's community is what it is. And, and, you know, it's allowing people to sell their own product. Yeah. Which North Carolina has just September 1st, as a matter of fact, it just started to allow. I don't know if you've ever been to Highlands Brewing in Nashville, but it mm-hmm. right next to it is uh Troy and Sons who make some pretty good whiskey too. And they have kind of share a patio, right? Okay. So you could drink beer, but you can't, buy whiskey and have a cocktail out there. So are you saying that distilleries until recently couldn't sell their own product? Like you couldn't go no, to a distillery? No, until September and, 1st. And you couldn't order? You could a, order, you could go to a distillery, you had to do a tour, and you could have a warm shot of white dog, whatever, or AIDS with. In, but you couldn't sit and have a mixed and a, drink. An ounce and, and a half. You could have an ounce and a half, all told, of warm and straight whiskey, but no, no mixed drinks, nothing like that. Wow. Which is, you know, and you go to Kentucky. Kentucky was mostly dry and still is for all I know. But, I mean, they have mixed drinks and the distillery tours are like Disney World. Yeah. Like Sierra Nevada. I mean, it's it's just big community gathering place. It's big entertainment complexes. Um, But distilleries weren't allowed to do any of that type of stuff. And they just passed the mixed drinks thing. And that was was a hard slog, too. Yeah. You know, to get them to allow them to actually make cocktails. Yeah, that would seem... (laughs) Very prohibitive. Like you are a distillery and why wouldn't you have a bar where you could sit and enjoy your favorite version of a drink with their stuff? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of people, I mean, they, 
don't drink whiskey straight. Sure. Or gin straight or, I mean, how many people drink gin straight as it is right now? Right. Or vodka straight. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't. And they want their products to be, you know, enjoyed how they envision them. Sure. But the state's like, people have to like use your imagination. Imagine this in your favorite drink. Wouldn't that be good? The state says no. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and, and, and they would charge for tours and that's how you would make the money, but they couldn't profit. Like you go to a brewery while well, they make their beer and they okay. sell, sell you their beer. So Josh, we're in a golden era right now when we do our passport thing, because we get to yeah. also enjoy the mixed drinks that we want to try. We are. September yeah. 1 was just like a couple of <laughs> weeks ago, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It just, it just went into effect. Yeah. So uh, they, they might not have opened, they might not even have time to open up the restaurants. To, heck, they might not even know about the law, but we can inform <laughs> them, I right, know, Joe? I know. Brothers uh, Gallus in uh, Durham has opened a bar. Durham Distillery has opened a bar. Fair yeah. game. I have to imagine we'll they were waiting strings. for this legislation. Oh, yeah. They, oh, knew. yeah. they had the plans. They Gentry, had it mapped out. Uh, they knew where the bar was going to mm-hmm. be. Gentry Lasseter <laughs> in Nightdale, he makes, he makes rum. <laughs> I walked in there like before the legislation had passed. I mean, yeah. it, they were still in a committee stage. He's in pre-construction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Like, Dude, what are you doing? He's like, this is my, my, be my tiki bar. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> what happens if this doesn't go through? Oh, it's going to go through. I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's a believer. Yeah. Now he's going to have a really nice tiki bar in his but basement. But he has tiki bar now. And he's, he's very proud of it. And um, yeah. uh, I, haven't, I haven't been there since, but... Uh, Rum cocktails are always good. Wow. I yeah. had no idea about all this. That's what I feel like I learned a lot today. Thanks. Yeah. Thank thanks, you, John. John. Thanks. Thanks for, great. Thanks thanks for, for having being me. A Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys have a great day. Thanks for listening. Is that everything? I guess so. Are we done? Yeah, I think I so. I can talk about this all day. Get a <laughs> bottle here. We're going for <laughs> We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck. Tell a better story and have a good answer to the question. What are you doing today? Relevant Media Solutions believes that marketing is storytelling. They help take business owners from feeling scared that their ineffective website is losing business, embarrassed of their online presence, and worry that their customers are not finding them, to business leaders with a useful website that grows their business and sees customers return. Let them help you tell your story. Visit RelevantMediaSolutions.com today.